brethren, Brother Bob here again. In light of the recent 4th of July celebration, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about our Christian liberties or our Christian freedoms. First of all, let me say that I'm very thankful for the opportunity to live in America with all its freedoms. Unfortunately, because I believe that the government of America now tolerates and even promotes both amoral and immoral lifestyles, I choose to no longer ask the Lord to bless this country. I know there's faithful people living in it, faithful Christians living in it, but they're far and few between. Gone are the days in America when it was deemed shameful to be involved with anything that the Lord of the Bible considered unrighteous. However, the immorality that is going on today is not only in America, but in the whole world, and it's not surprising. Christ said that before he returned, the world would be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh well. For the faithful Christian, life goes on as usual. Anyways, I digress from my topic. Christian freedom. Those are wonderful words if used in their proper context. Unfortunately, many in the church do not understand what Christian freedom or Christian liberty means or entails. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Well, let me start off by telling you what having Christian liberty or Christian freedom does not mean. Having Christian liberty does not mean that God's children can do whatever they want to or live any way they want to. Having Christian liberty does not mean that it is okay for Christian women to wear immodest clothing. Ladies, allowing yourselves to be caught up in the ways of the world does not mean that you are freed. Being free in Christ, ladies, means that you have the freedom to dress as the Lord would want you to dress and not as the world would want you to dress. And having Christian freedom, ladies, does not mean that you can choose to become a soldier or a cop or anything where you need to physically fight people, no matter how sincere you might be. The Lord wants you to be quiet and gentle. If you're truly free in Christ, you will not feel obligated to have to please the world or give in to the pressures of the world. The God of the Bible wants Christian women to be quiet and gentle. And not only the way you behave, but also in the way you look. If you are a Christian woman and you believe Christian freedom means you have the freedom to compete physically with men in what used to be a man's world, you are not free, but chained to the peer pressures of this world. The Lord created women to be lovers, not fighters. The Lord set his children free from the power of sin so that they could serve him, not ourselves. Being free in Christ does not mean that believers are free to sin. Believers are not free to dump their children in today's secular government, anti-God, anti-moral, anti-parent school systems. Being free in Christ does not mean that God's children are free to pick and choose to obey the Bible verses they like and ignore the ones they do not like. And finally, having Christian freedom does not mean that church people have the freedom to add or take away from God's word. Brethren, biblical faith is a faith based on what God's Word teaches and not on stuff you make up as you go along. Christians, we cannot just make faith out what we want it to be. True faith must come from the Scriptures. It is not God's faith when we choose to do things the Lord never commanded us to do. It is sad that we live in a time in a church when so many church leaders do not see the issue that God has with them making up their own church doctrines. Now let me qualify what I meant when I listed some things that God's people cannot do in the name of freedom. Technically, God's people do have the freedom to choose to disobey their Heavenly Father's commandments and or to choose to do what seems right in their own eyes. But 
to choose to do that will have consequences. Again, Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And sadly for many in the church, that judgment day will not go well because they chose to willfully deny obeying God's commandments. Brethren, having Christian liberty does not mean that God's children can live any way they want to or do whatever they want to without having consequences. And unfortunately, many of those consequences are not going to be revealed until they get to the judgment seat. You see, even though our Heavenly Father will not force His children to live righteously, and even though our Heavenly Father does not force His children to obey His commandments, and even though our Heavenly Father does not force His children to pray to Him, or abide with Him, or for that matter, worship Him, and even though our Heavenly Father will not supernaturally stop His children from being disobedient and or rebellious, that does not mean that there will not be eternal consequences for choosing to do the wrong thing. Being free in Christ does not mean you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. Revelation 22.11 speaks of the free will of the believer. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. You see, blood-bought, born-again believers have the absolute freedom to totally disobey their Savior and still be born again. But simply being born again is not what Christianity is all about. You see, getting born again has got nothing to do with keeping or obeying God's word. Salvation is a gift. On the other hand, choosing to become and living like a disciple of Christ is going to cost us something. The Lord will initially attempt to stop his children from disobeying him because he loves us. He will do that through discipline. But if we reject his discipline, he will let us go our own way. In the end, it is the child of God who must choose to be right with their Lord. The Lord told Solomon, if you choose to walk in my commandments, I will bless your name throughout eternity. But he also told Solomon, if you reject my ways, I will reject you from all eternity and blot out your name. Second Chronicles 7.19 is a serious warning for Solomon. The Lord says, if you turn away Solomon and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, which is exactly what he did. Then I will uproot you from my land, which I have given you, and this house which I have consecrated for my name will be cast out of my sight, and I will make your name a proverb and a byword among all people. Brethren, there is a reason why Solomon is never mentioned in the New Testament scriptures and is an example of a God-fearing, God-honoring man. For many years Solomon walked righteously with the Lord. But then later in his life, he decided that he had enough of all this righteousness, and he used his freedom to choose to walk very, very wickedly. And the Lord disowned him forevermore. Solomon was warned by David, his father, that if he forsook the Lord, the Lord would reject him forever. And that's exactly what happened. I believe Solomon had a very, very serious condemnation judgment. And this can happen to God's children, even in the New Testament church age. This should scare the bejeebies out of believers. Solomon used his freedoms for the wrong reasons and paid a dear price in eternity. So for any true believer, living life is a catch-22 situation. By that I mean, yeah, God's children can choose to disobey the Lord because he does not interfere in his children's free will choices. However, choosing to disobey the Lord will have consequences in the next life. Here's a simple example of that. 
Christ said, if you ignore the least of my commandments and teach others also to ignore them, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys my laws and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Both are choices. One was right, one was wrong. So as I have explained, our Heavenly Father will allow His children to use their free will, their freedom, to do whatever they want to do, righteous or unrighteous. However, if a believer is walking in their God-honoring Christian liberty, that means that they will be choosing to use their free will, i.e. freedom, to serve the one who suffered and died to save their sorry butts from hell. Being biblically free in Christ means that believers are free to choose not to sin. Being biblically free in Christ means that believers are free to choose to do those things that the Lord does not condemn. Being free in Christ means you're going to stop listening to these church leaders or even maybe your emotions, which tells you, I need to stop doing this because I feel like it would upset the Lord. Quit going on your feelings. Too many people in the church are worried about do not eat, do not drink, do not touch. The Apostle Paul warned about the problem with that. Because too many people think this makes them more pious or holy because they're stopping to do things that the Lord never told them to stop doing. The Apostle Paul said, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Brethren, if the Lord told you to do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, then you need to obey Him. But if He did not tell you that, quit listening to the world. Quit listening to your emotions. Quit listening to denominations that are putting all these burdens and things on believers that are really restricting your freedom. There's a big problem, as I see it in the Christian church these days, that has to do with believers who are striving to do certain moral things, believing it makes them more holier or more righteous or more pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Things that are not written down in the scriptures. Now, it's not wrong for believers to strive to be holy. The scriptures command God's people to do just that. Christ told his followers to be holy. When Christ said this, he was not implying that believers are holy by association with him. Christ was not telling his followers that the Lord automatically sees them as holy because he is their Heavenly Father. And Christ was definitely not telling his followers that the Lord would make them holy simply because he is holy. When Christ told his followers to be holy, he was giving them an imperative or commandment which entailed striving to be holy. Brethren, being seen as holy by the Lord isn't based on do not touch, do not eat, do not drink. Being holy means that the things that you have done that are wrong, according to God's scriptures, and you've confessed, repented of them, and moved on, and you've got cleansing, that makes you holy because it makes you sinless. It doesn't make you holy when you stop drinking alcohol. Again, the problem is drunkenness, not drinking. When you confess to the Lord that you have a desire for drinking and you confess it as a sin, you're not even talking to the Lord because he says, I never told you that it was wrong or a sin to drink alcohol. Don't confess something to me that's not sinful. And when you think you stumble because you smoke a cigarette or a cigar and you you go to the Lord and confess that as sin, he's not going to listen to you because he never told you it was a sin to smoke cigarettes or smoke cigars. It's a disgusting habit, just like picking your nose. We keep ourselves holy in God's eyes by confessing, repenting, and getting washed for the sins we commit. We really got to get it in our brains, brethren, that, that if the Lord did not tell us, do not eat, do not touch, do not handle, that it's not a sin. No matter what our heart tells us, no matter what our brain tells us.
Brethren, we're not made holier because we choose to stay away from those things that the Lord never told us to stay away from. We can perfect our holiness by walking with the Lord, continuing to grow in His Word, and when we stumble in sin, we repent, confess, and get cleansed. Only the things of God's Word are holy, not the things in our mind or our emotions. And contrary to what many sign-seeking churches are going to tell you, we need to strive to be holy. There's some effort involved. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Okay, the defilement of the flesh and the spirit are those things that the Lord lists as do or do not things. Those are his commandments, not the things that we feel or think are God's commandments. Imagine that we're told to perfect our holiness. We can make it better, but we have to be walking with the Lord, obviously. Verses like these drive the Pentecostally like believers nuts because verses like these put the responsibility of being holy on the believer and not just the Holy Spirit. The English word perfecting in the Greek means to strengthen or accomplish perfectly. There's an effort involved. Second Peter to chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth when, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. That means put some effort into it to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Verses like these clearly show that a believer's Complete or perfect holiness is not complete at their initial conversion. As I share quite often, a believer's holiness is a work in progress, a work that carries on until the day we die and step into eternity and get our sinless bodies. Again, a born-again believer can choose, through continued repentance and the cleansing power of the blood of Christ, continue to be seen as being holy, i.e. sinless, even though they are basically sinners. Again, but that's confessing the things that the Lord told us to do or not to do. It's not confessing things that are not in the Bible. If someone tells you, do not touch, do not eat, do not handle, ask them where does the scriptures say that. Now, I'm being facetious here, but if someone tells you you can't have Antonis on your pizza, ask them where does the Bible say that. If you can't have ketchup on your french fries, where does the scriptures teach that? Obviously, I'm being sarcastic, but there's people who are going to tell you, Oh, the Lord says we shouldn't be smoking. The Lord says we shouldn't be drinking. The Lord says we shouldn't be whatever. Ask him, where does the Bible say that? Now, I'm going to share this next thing because I know people take liberties with this. <laughs> Excuse the pun. And they abuse this verse. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. But many of you are not going to accept what I share about this verse, but that's your problem, not mine. When the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 8, verse 9, and all those verses in that chapter dealing with the pagan temple worship services, he was specifically dealing with the issues that arose from believers having to live around or who came out of these pagan temples. In the age we live in right now, there are no longer Gentile pagan temples, praise God, but sadly, because this world and the church is becoming so secular, they might pop up pretty soon. There, was, there are no pagan temples. Gentile worship temples around anymore. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details about these pagan temples. However, I will say this much. There were animal sacrifices, among other things, that were going on in these pagan temples. The meat that was sacrificed at these temples was not eaten up by everybody who was a pagan temple worshiper. So whatever meats were left were sold in the local pagan marketplace at a fairly cheap price. 
So what would happen is that both believers and unbelievers alike purchase their meat in these pagan marketplaces. In the scriptures, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. Now, basically, the Apostle Paul is saying anybody who's a believer and they're off of mommy's milk and into the meat of the word, they're going to know that this whole pagan idol thing is a joke. These are all myths and fairy tales. There's only one God, the God of the Bible. However, Paul says, you know what? He continues on 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Not all men have this knowledge, but some accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So basically, the Apostle Paul is saying you're going to have some brand new believers. They know how disgusting and vile and wicked these pagan temples are. And they're going to think this is all rotten, wicked, moral, and disgusting stuff in these temples. And since they're brand new believers, they haven't had the whole picture figured out yet. So they're going to say, hey, we should have nothing to do with these pagan temples. Because they're young in the faith. They haven't, again, they haven't understood the whole picture yet about growing and maturing in the Lord. So the point being is that when these young, immature Christians see the Apostle Paul buying meat in the pagan marketplace that they know came out of the pagan temple, their conscience is bothered, they're convicted, they're going, wait a minute, that's pagan meat that Paul is eating. Now the Apostle Paul knows it's not, he doesn't believe in idols, but he doesn't want to offend this new believer, so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, we need to be sensitive when these brand new believers see us involved with this meat and food and wine coming out of these pagan temples. We need to be sensitive and because they think what we're eating is meat sacrificed to idols. When it really wasn't in our eyes, the mature believer says, well, I'm going to have to just be sensitive to the young believer. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, just avoid eating that pagan meat until that young Christian can be explained, can be explained to him why it's not wrong to eat that pagan meat. You know, the Apostle Paul is basically saying, I have the freedom and liberty to eat this pagan meat, but in this certain area, I want to be careful that I don't cause a younger brother or sister to stumble, so I'm going to stay away from it. I share all this because many in the church like to abuse these verses by applying it to all kinds of stuff that the Lord never intended to be applied to. Brethren, we do not have to avoid eating ice cream in front of my overweight brothers and sisters in Christ. I do not have to avoid drinking alcohol because some believers believe that drinking alcohol is a sin. Those verses that Paul taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 pertain specifically to pagan temples. Now obviously, if, I, if I'm with a brand new child in the Lord and he came out of a life of drunkenness, I'm not going to share him, give, offer him a beer or a shot at my house, all right, or even a glass of wine. However, if that same ex-drunk believer is now 5, 10, 20 years in the Lord, and they still struggle with drunkenness, they are most definitely not growing up spiritually. Funny thing is, I'm sure most believers would not have a problem with offering an ex-drug addict an aspirin for a headache, just saying. Brethren, please carefully listen to what I say next. No matter how sincere you think you are, God is not pleased when his children add to or take away from the truths of God's already established written word. My Bible says it's our job as believers to seek the scriptures and to find those things that please the Lord. Ephesians 5.10 Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And how do we learn that? By learning our scriptures. 
God's people need to learn God's truths. It is the only way to determine biblical truth from a biblical lie. Please, please, please do not take people at their word simply because they tell you they know their scriptures. Again, I've shared this before, but it's important. There is a big difference, a big, big difference between having some knowledge of scriptural truths and having a deep and organized, rational knowledge of scriptures. A believer with partial or incomplete knowledge of scriptures most times has just enough biblical knowledge to sound wise and righteous to those who have very little knowledge of scriptures. And yet, that same partially wise believer sounds like a spiritual ignoramus to those believers who have a deep and organized, rational knowledge of scriptures. Brethren, we are not free in Christ unless we know and obey his scriptures. Christ said, if you continue in my word, then you truly are disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Anyone can make themselves sound spiritually wise to the undiscerning by cherry-picking bits and pieces of Bible verses. There is a big difference, a big, big difference between having faith and having faith in the right things. And by right things, I mean biblical things. Having faith that the value of the typewriter stock is going to go up anytime soon is a foolish faith. Having faith that you're going to find gold or oil in your backyard is a whimsical, empty faith. Having faith that the Lord is going to give you a job or provide you a new car or a house or an island is not biblical faith. When it comes to God's people professing to have the faith, that faith must be a faith in the things that the Lord told us to have faith in. And the only way you're going to be free in Christ is if you know your scriptures. Brethren, we are only free to serve Christ if we know what Christ has freed us of. Your friend in Christ, Brother Bob. Stay in the word, test the spirits, examine your faith, compare what you believe with what the scriptures say, and only then will the truth set you free to serve the Lord his way. You can get a hold of me again at brobobforhim at gmail.com.